Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. Ah, the perils of parenting. Parenthood. We are told this is such a wonderful place to be. Everybody should grow up and have children. And I so disagree. Not only do I disagree before, I disagreed before I got into the family law business, but I disagree now. I think it's the hardest thing in the world. And joining me in Centering today is a guest who's going to go left of center and going to get down and dirty honest with you about parenting in general and during divorce. We have joining us a most delightful person, Esther Jacob. Welcome to the program, Esther. Thank you very much, Judith. I'm happy to be here. Man, I wish we would have recorded our pre-interview because (laughs) that was an absolute riot. So we're going to attempt to uh, replicate this because you are one of the people I have been looking for, for honesty. I think we all just need somebody, professionals, to be honest with us on certain things. Mm -hmm. So Esther, let's just talk about, Esther is a certified divorce coach. She's in Beverly Hills, Los Angeles, right? And uh, she's also an associate, okay, ACSW, say what it is, Esther. An associate clinical social worker. There you go. What's the difference between a social worker and a therapist? And you're also, well, you're an associate therapist and a coach. Um, Your schooling is different. What you can do legally is different. Um, So as a therapist, I deal with all sorts of things, depression, anxiety, panic disorder, you know, things that the schooling is different and um, ultimately get licensed in that. And a coach, um, there isn't, I did take a certification and a course in life and divorce coaching. Um, But from what I understand, the schooling is different and there isn't a governing body. Okay, so what's the difference between licensed social worker and therapist? Um, There really is no difference. As a social worker, you could be a therapist, but you could also work in other capacities. The difference between being licensed is putting in your hours and getting your 3,000 hours and then sitting for a grueling licensing exam. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. So when you actually do get to practice on your own, you've Mm -hmm. spent a lot of time under supervision of a a, um, a licensed therapist who can also guide, instruct, teach, etc. right? Exactly. Okay. You're very good at what you do. I know you are, and you're very good at explaining things. So Esther, first of all, yeah. you are in your second marriage, and you have two biological children and one stepchild, correct? All three are biological. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. So one okay. child, but, but one child from the second marriage, right? That's correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's what I got. So um, can you talk to me about how actual parenting changed from what you thought it was going to be like before you got married? The first time? The first round of marriage? Oh, yes, because that's when the actual shock sets in, right? (laughs) Shock is a good word. Um, Yes, so I think first thing was I was very young. So when I had my first child, I was 25. Um, I'd already been married for three years. And I used to babysit and always loved children. So just assumed that I would have a wonderful child to dress up and take playdates and drop off at school and put to bed at night and do all the things that I knew as parenting. And then come in the challenges, which you don't expect, like fights and play dates, how to navigate different personalities with your kids, a child who doesn't want to go to sleep on time. And therefore, my life was more regulated by the child than me regulating life. And I don't think I expected that. I expected, and I know there are some people who do that, Like we're going on vacation to Europe with this six-month-old. And that's great if you have a six-month-old who's just easy breezy and going with the flow. I say having a child is like Russian roulette. You do not know 
what you're going to get every time. You don't know. So you don't know. And if I have to go on a trip to Europe and we're travelers, but I have this really fussy, difficult six-month-old, why would I want to put myself through that kind of, of trip? So I think I realized that um, my life wasn't at, as much my own and it was now really run by whatever challenge I was faced with at the time. The reason why I chose not to have children is because I feared the unknown. Mm-hmm. I feared that I could have maybe produced a Ted, Ted Bundy. I mean, Ted Bundy's parents were probably normal people mm-hmm. getting up, eating breakfast, going to work, having friends, watching TV, going to bed. And then they had Ted. And their life was a living hell at that point. So there was that extreme fear. Call me crazy, but that's the way it was. Mm-hmm. Um, what if they didn't listen to me? You know what's interesting, Judith, if I can just interrupt Please. you? Please. Is that you even thought about that? Because I think that's part of. I don't want to say the issue, but I think that's part of the reason why people just have kids is because they don't stop to think about, well, what does this mean? There is so much unknown. The whole thing from what will the pregnancy look like to what will the delivery look like to what will this child be like to what will like, it's all unknown. And I don't think people stop and say, okay, am I prepared for this? Everybody's nervous about the unknown. That's just, you know, part of the work I do is there's dealing with unknown. And we learn techniques and ways to manage that. There's so much here, but I don't think people stop often and say, am I really prepared for all of this? They just do it because, you know, generations ago was just something you did. You have a baby, you you get married, you have a baby, you have another one, and that's what you did. So we just followed this pattern. I do see a change coming. And life will be fine and wonderful and ideal. I mean, mm-hmm. that, all, that all follows too. Yes. Yeah. So I'm 69. My sister was one year young, is one year younger than, than I am. When we both graduated from college one year apart, we both started working, but her goal was to get married and be a young mother mm-hmm. as soon as possible. My goal was to see the world and not get married until I was 33. And funny enough, I got married when I was 33. It just worked out that way. And she had young children. We both ended up getting divorced for different reasons. Mm -hmm. She absolutely loved being a mother. But as I watched her, um, not only she has a special needs middle child. Okay, so let's talk about that for a second. I mean, my heart goes out to everybody. And I love people that say, no, 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 no. It made me a better person. I love to hear that. But that's not everybody. Not everybody can handle, right? A special needs child. No, everybody's made differently and their tolerances are what they are. Obviously, you can expand and you can grow, but my heart really does go out to, you know, anybody who has these challenges that they didn't expect, right? The unknown. And it's really hard. And, you know, now you look at that's a middle child where there are obviously two other children there, right? And the whole family's impacted. And that's really, that's really hard. And there's, you know, I have a lot of empathy for people who struggle with, with managing that on the day to day. And maybe this is an overstatement generalization. You can correct me. But In what I see in my practice, when there's a special needs child, and there's a thing called adult child support, you know, the state supports all of that, but both parents are not created equal. And I've seen a lot of instances where mom is really the one who deals with this on a day-to-day basis, the management of it, the professionals involved, Mm -hmm. and quite often, dad has a much harder time. Do you, is that a generalization? You know, I don't know if it would be a generalization. I would imagine, I can't speak from tons of experience. I don't, I personally don't have experiences with dealing with that or a lot of clients with that, but I would imagine that most of the time that would be true that, you know, even if both parents are working, maybe it's the mom who comes home earlier to manage. I mean, we still are in that world where more is put on the woman at home. Obviously, there are families where that's different 
and we've seen different models, but I would imagine that most of the time that is true and there is fatigue. And I also know that it's one of the biggest stressors within the relationship of the parents, right? When you have a child with special needs, that now adds another dimension between stressors between parents because it really is a challenge. It really is a challenge. I mean, the last few couples who have come through here for mediation, mom has been the one who houses the child most of the time. Dad has not been avoiding or or mm-hmm. says he wants to be involved. But I can see as we're doing the parenting plans and I'm listening to people talk about this, that it seems to be more difficult for dad to take over exactly half the role that mom has been assuming 90% of the time. So my only comment in this to anybody listening and, and to engage you is these are just simply one of the things you have to think about possibly not as a complete deterrent because being a parent means you really have to be open to anything you have to be prepared you have to be prepared for whatever's going to come your way that's and sometimes you know things come your way and you weren't you didn't expect it and then the flexibility comes in and managing it and it's tough I you know even with me with my youngest when there's challenges with doing the homework, I can tell you right now, that is not my strong suit. I am not the patient one. That's when my husband comes in because I like it's just not my thing. It gets too challenging. You know, we butt heads. No, try this. No, try this. It gets really hard and I have to push my, you know, pull myself out and say, okay. And my husband, he's the calmer one. In our relationship, he's the calmer one and he's the one that's more able to manage, you know, some explosion that's going down. I fess up. (laughs) No, this is great because both parents have different skills and, you know, both are beneficial to the child if used properly. So, So that's really, really great. Is it okay, Esther, for people who already have children to sit back and say, oh my God, this is so hard. Am I really doing the right job? Where can I get help even knowing that I'm doing the right job if things are happening that that seem out of your control? You can say anything you want. I'm a big believer in say it, get it out of your body, um, and you absolutely have the right to feel any feeling you have. I am one of those parents who sometimes will say, oh my God, what did I get myself into? And I don't know, I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know if I'm doing this right. I don't know if I'm good enough, right? There's a lot of talk about, I, you know, am I good enough? And, and what does that mean? What's the definition of being good enough? And I have clients who struggle with this all the time. You know, I just sit and watch TV with my child. I don't really have the energy to play a game. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that, but I know they need me. How much is enough? How much can I give? I don't want to do this anymore. It's too hard. These are all things that I think if you talk about and if people really fessed up and they talked about it, they would feel better and they would realize they're not alone. Because I think so many people feel like, how can I feel that way? I'm a mother. How can I feel that way? I'm a father. And they feel alone and guilty and they judge themselves harshly. And that affects how you behave. But if you can get with people and just say, you know what? This really sucks. There's no way I'm having another child, right? Like, or, 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 you know, sometimes in my house, I do, this is great guys. I have three kids, but in my next life, I've put in an order. I want to be independently wealthy and I'm not having children, right? Like this gets too hard. And does that mean I'm a bad mom? Does that mean that someone's a bad parent because they feel this? I don't think so. I think it's being honest. And I think that's often lacking. This is, you know, people always said to me when my kids were young, and even now, when I have, you know, two that are much older and one that's younger, and they say... Uh, Esther, how old's your younger? My youngest is... Or your 12. youngest? 12? I took, I took a minute. She's 12. My middle one is almost 21, and my oldest is 23. Okay, continue with what you were going to say. And people would say to me, enjoy it. Enjoy every moment. And I got to tell you, that's bullshit. Like... Every moment is not enjoyable. Like many, 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 many moments 
are not enjoyable. And I don't want to like relive them. I don't want to go through them. And, you know, people tell you, enjoy every moment. And then you start to wonder, is, is there something wrong with me that, that I'm not savoring this? Um, it's, it's really, parenting's really tough. And I don't, it's not for everybody. It's really not. Was it for your former husband? I don't know that I could speak on his behalf. I can definitely speak on this husband, but for my former husband, I think what I would do would leave that up to him. Okay. Yeah, okay. that's okay. Yeah. So is parenting a little easier now with current husband? Parenting is so much easier and better with current husband. Say what? Uh, He's very involved. He's super hands-on. My daughter had to go for um, swim tryouts. So he blocked off his schedule. We had a day's notice and he blocked off his schedule. He's like, I'll do it. I got it. I had a client. I couldn't take her. And he's, he's, when she was younger, was like, no, I got bath time. No, I'll put her to bed. Like he's eager to do these things. And I've done two. (laughs) So I'm less eager to do all of these things all the time. Oh, right. Because he's living this the very first time. This is your third time around. This is my third time. This is his first time from beginning. I mean, he was there from my kids when they were very young. They were, my older daughters were four and six when I got separated. So he was probably there not long after that. And, um, he's really in it to win it. So it's easier because I have someone who's really really helping in a partner. I'm going out tonight. I'm going out tonight. That's, he's on, he's on, he's on call. Like he'll be home. And I never have to say, it's okay if I go out. It's like, I have plans two nights this week. And then maybe next week he'll have plans, but it's a partnership is super important. And when it comes to parenting, he's great in that. What were the learning lessons in going into the second marriage in regards to parenting? since you already had um, some experience, different conversation. What was that like? Uh, you mean going into parenting with another person? With like another person. Like? Because he was inheriting stepchildren. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting. I never even thought of this until you just asked me this, but one of the things that I made very clear before we even got pregnant was if we're doing this, I'm not doing this alone. It's not me doing this. I'm not going to be the only one getting up at night. I'm like, it was something that I knew that from the very beginning, I wasn't going to be the only one feeding the baby in the middle of the night if there was going to be a bottle involved. And I knew that I needed more help. I could not do this without a sitter who would come more often. I also knew that I needed to be prioritized. It wasn't just like, I had to be prioritized. My mental and emotional state needed to be a priority here. And, um, and that was made super clear in the beginning. Like, I'm not doing this alone. I'm not the only one feeding, getting it to school. It's not all going to be on me. Okay. And of course, you wouldn't really know to say that, didn't think about it mm-hmm. first time around. Didn't even know I wanted it that way the first time around. First time around, I was like thinking... I'm gung-ho. I'm all in. This is going to be great. I will go. I will do every drop-off. I will do every pickup. I will. And then you get exhausted. (laughs) And then you're like, oh, wait, can we reevaluate? But at this point, you know, something's set. This, these are, these are, this is the male role. This is the female role. I'm at work. You're doing this. So like, I've been, you know, often people view it as, you know, the man is out working all day. So when he gets home, he needs a break. Well, we've been working all day too, and we're the the ones at home. And your office is the home. I I find this such an interesting dynamic because uh, there are some professions that are so unbelievably stressful. I do a lot of work with law enforcement Mm -hmm. and firemen, and those are very stressful professions because they're dangerous professions. And I always listen to the policeman at least say one of the issues in our marriage that are that now has led up to divorce is I needed time to decompress. Mm-hmm. 
When I got home from work, I didn't want anybody to talk to me. I wanted to sit in my chair in a different part of the house. And then when I'm ready, I'll come and talk. Meanwhile, when you have children, they're waiting at the door for daddy when they're younger. And wife wants to, because this is her job, talk about her job, which by the way, is half your job. It's half your, you know, you you own half of my job because they're your children. But dad wants to decompress. I know that you have, as a therapist and a coach, handled situations like this. Could you flesh out some wisdom here? Sure. I mean, I have, you know, clients in this situation and myself in this situation. What it comes down to is communication. Everybody deserves a break. The male, the female, everybody deserves a break, but there has to be some understanding and flexibility. And that's where communication comes in. There are many days where I will work in this room and I've worked a full day and everybody's out there waiting for dinner or whatever on me. And I will walk out and I will say, I need like 30 minutes in the other room. It has nothing to do with anybody. I've just heard, you know, talk all day and I need to sit in silence. And I'll go and have them do their own thing. And my husband will say to me, you know what? I'm exhausted. I'm going to go meditate for a little bit. And I say, fine. The older the kids get, it seems to get easier to do that. That is much more a struggle when you have a six-month-old in your hand or newborn or, or, you know, a a one-year-old who's starting to walk to the door. It gets more complicated. But I think if you can communicate ahead of time, whether it's he's not going to come home right away. He's going to go out for an hour with his buddies and hang out. And then he's going to come home when he feels decompressed or, you know, there's seven nights in a week, figure out a schedule, you know, where everybody gets their time, but communication is going to be the biggest key. And both sides, mom, dad, two moms, two dads, whatever, everybody deserves a break. And there has to be a way to carve that out. Okay. So traditional marriage, stay-at-home mom, maybe part-time working mom, but, but, but a lot of the work done in the mm-hmm. house. Dad comes home, wants to decompress, doesn't go anywhere, wants to decompress. For mom to respond, okay, honey, go ahead, see you in 30, mm-hmm. is that reasonable to expect mom to say that? Should mom say that in order to get maybe something back in return then, as you were talking about? I think it's a give and take. I think it's easier for mom to say that when it's been communicated before he's walked in the door. Honey, I've had a really tough day. I'm coming home. I'm going to tell you now it would be really beneficial for everybody if I could have some downtime before. I'm happy to then take the baby from you. I'm happy to go put so-and-so to sleep or whatever, but I really need those 30 minutes. And yeah, if If both parties are receiving what they need, they should be very willing to say, I I hear you, I hear you, and switch off. Nice. Nice to hear. Thanks, Esther. Let's go to divorce now, and let's talk about uh, the children and Mm -hmm. how you talk to the children initially to explain the divorce, but more so... How do you talk to the children throughout the divorce process, answering their questions, making them feel secure, not dragging them into the process while you are hurting at your core? That's a really good question. It's a really tough thing to do. I'll tell you that. So the first thing that I always ask my clients who come for you know, divorce coaching is, do you love your children more than you hate your ex? And if the answer is yes, which it should be, I know, and most of the time it is, then your priority is and your focus is the children. And that means the bad mouthing, right? And raising the children. You're able to focus on, if you can understand that bad mouthing, putting somebody down, um, accepting that two households have two different sets of rules, but not putting that down, then you can speak to your children with love versus anger. And I think that's one of the very big pieces is if you let the love of your children come first, then that's going to help guide your talking. Um, 
first of all, you know, how to talk to them really depends on age. There's a lot of age appropriate language. Well, hang in there a second. Yeah. I wanted to ask you a question, yeah. Esther. Sure. So you're, you're, you're in the initial stages of we're going to get a divorce. You haven't mm-hmm. even filed yet. You have to deal with that for a second. Okay. And it's painful. Maybe you don't agree that there should be a divorce. Maybe you do, but just the idea of being a divorced person is very unsettling. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've never lived on your own. Okay, but here's where I want to go with this. Okay. So you're in your own pain, mm-hmm. and you, Esther, ask the question and hear the answer. Well, yes, I do love my children more than I hate my husband <laughs> or, or wife, whatever the case may be. Um, but to get to that point of being able to separate those emotions, I guess that's where I, as a mediator, still am unclear of how, how that could logistically, realistically work. How do you do really? I, I, I can see why that, I think coming from my mindset and having gone through it, you know, um, in that way, for me and what I try to convey to my clients is for me, the most important thing was two things. One, that nothing I did would harm my children. And two, that when I put my head on the pillow at night, I felt proud of how I acted. Okay. So those were two things. I didn't want to have regrets that later I would need to explain one day to my children. Cause I believe everything always, something always comes out. You try to hide the truth or something. It's all going to come out at some point. And so I wanted to know that when I put my head on the pillow at night, I knew that I did everything in my power to protect my children and that I'm not embarrassed or ashamed of any behavior. And I think that's something I try to convey you know, and try to like teach my clients. Is it easy? No. Uh, It's really hard. And sometimes people fail at it in the beginning and they get better as they go. It's tough when you're, like you said, in those initial stages and it's all emotion-based, right? Everything is emotionally charged and emotionally based. And it's really hard to use your mind and think rationally when emotion is taking over. And that's one of the first thing is to, when you start to feel something so greatly, don't do anything. That's rule one. When you feel that you are overcome with emotion, that's not when you're going to have that talk. That's not when you're going to say anything. You're going to wait till you calm down. Should the talk be done with both parents if possible? Absolutely. The initial talk to tell the children that, you know, our, our family is going to look a little different. It's, you know, the construction will look a little different. Absolutely. Ideally, you want both parents there. But I also think, think that often both parents need coaching before that conversation because you don't want to be throwing either one of them under the bus. You don't want to throw dad under the bus for, well, dad did X, Y, and Z. You don't want to throw mom under the bus because mom did this or that. You really want to make it um, information-based with a lot of love and warmth and for the children to see you know, gentle. And you still want to convey, of course, I'll always be the right one. So don't worry, kids, that won't change. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'll always be here. I'll always be here. I'm, I'm kidding. Um, so tell me if this sounds realistic or not. Again, I'm not a, I'm a pet parent. I'm not a human parent, but I've loads of nieces and nephews. <laughs> and I was a kid. I do remember what it was like to be. Really? Like. Yeah. Okay. So when you say, uh, love your children more than the negative feelings towards your spouse. And I totally get be proud of yourself at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So is it possible, Esther, to throw your focus onto making sure the kids are the best they can be and I'm doing all the right things to make them happy, can that in and of itself decrease the negative feelings you have for your soon-to-be former spouse? Absolutely. If your focus is on the children and their best interest, the 
energy and focus that so many people place on revenge or getting back at or playing games, there isn't, there isn't as much space for that. And if you can, every question, I have clients who say to me, well, um, you know, he sent me this last minute email and he wants to pick up the kids tomorrow, three hours earlier. And I don't know, like last time I tried to get them, he wouldn't give them all these games. And I said, very simply, take the games and everything away very quickly. How will it be for your kids if he comes and picks them up three hours early? And they say, oh, they'd be thrilled. So then why are we talking about this? If they're going to be thrilled for dad to pick them up three hours early, then we have no discussion because the rest doesn't matter. So yes, right there, you've just cut off the, well, no, you can't because last time, and then the back and forth emails or texts or my family wizard, it's not necessary. What will that look like for the kids? He wants to take them away an extra day. But last time I asked, okay, what will that be like for the kids if they get to stay in Hawaii for an extra day? Well, that would be great. Okay. So you look flexible and the kids are having a great time. Why are we, why are you wasting money talking to me on this? (laughs) Right. You know? Oh my God, Esther, that's completely brilliant. I have never, ever heard it explained like that. Very, it's simple because because divorce is about the battle. People make it about the battle. My divorce was, there was so much that was unnecessarily about the battle. What will this decision look like for your kids? If your kids stay the focus, there's, there, isn't, there isn't need for the other stuff. Okay, so I'm just going to say this one more time. Because again, in 10 years of doing this, I have yeah. never heard it presented so clearly. So when situations come up that could easily fuel the battle, the Mm -hmm. justice seeking, the bringing up the past, and how do we balance out this imbalance that has been, what will it look like for the kids? How will your kids feel if they get an extra day in Hawaii, if they get to go to Disney World three hours early? Yep. I mean, that's all it takes. The mudslinging, you don't need the mudslinging. And nobody wins in the mudslinging. Nobody wins. Nobody wins. And you both become the champion parents. Oh my God, mom, thank you so much. This was so great. You let us leave early. Dad, thank you. Or other mother, other dad. I mean, whatever. Um, thank you so much for, for spending more time. Everybody wins. How about this? Think of it this way. Uh, I'm using, you know, I'm the mom, so I'm just using the example of dad says, okay, so ex-husband tells the children without your knowledge that they are going to France. They're going to go to France over December break. There's no pandemic in the world and all is nice, right? Kid come home, tells the parents, tells the mom, dad says we're going to France over, over December vacation. I'm so excited. Mom is now boiling inside. One, she didn't know. Two, he never took me to France. Three, she has no money to go to take the kids herself. Right? All these reasons that she's livid. None of that at the end of the day is going to matter because their kids are, her kids getting to go to France and they're excited. So in that moment, what could mom do? Mom can say all the things like we've heard. Well, isn't that nice? I wish I would have known. Dad didn't tell me, blah, 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 blah. Or they can turn and say, that is so exciting. You must be so excited about that. Yay. I mean. What does that kid feel like versus the kid who hears, well, your dad didn't tell me that. I don't know why he doesn't have the money for support, but he has the money to take you to France, right? We hear the kid doesn't need any of that. Go to your therapist, go to your friend, bitch and moan, because you have the right to feel all the feelings. Go bitch and moan to somebody else. The kid gets, that's awesome. Understand, Judith, as I'm saying this, I'm well aware that this is really challenging. I'm well aware that I'm asking what may feel impossible. And I was there, so I know how hard it can be. But if you remember, how will what I say be like? What will that be like for the kid? Yeah. Then it changes what you say. Oh my God, so brilliant. I, uh, I want to go, I want to circle back to something critical that you just gave okay. in this <laughs> poignant and funny series of examples. Okay. In mom's mind, she's saying, 
well, how does he not have all the right money for child support, but he can go to France? How does he not, not have money to split the dentist bill, but with his girlfriend, he can do X, Y, and Z? Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. So that may be the reality. Yes. So what are the options for mom away from the kids to uh, deal with that issue, perhaps? Sure. Okay. Go, yeah, listen, I'm great. You have a good time in France. Who does she call, though, <laughs> to deal with this in a uh, legal way or whatever way? Okay. Well, first of all, if you have a therapist or a coach, that's not legal area, but you might brainstorm. Like, is this really just emotional and you're jealous or does this financial piece really impact your life? So there's two different things here. If you're just pissed, but you're making ends meet and you're not, it's not like a real struggle here and you're fine but you're just jealous and frustrated or angry, then that's okay. It's totally fine. Find a place to be able to process that and talk about that and where that comes from. If it's a legal issue, and this is where like, peace out, I don't like to deal with anything legal, not a fan of the whole process. I, that's where I, you know, we do our work and then you go to your attorney and say, do I, you know, is this, is this going to be cost effective? Is this something that is worth looking into? Because you can wind up spending thousands of dollars just talking to your attorney over very little amount of money. Like, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? And if not, there's your therapist or your coach or your friend or whoever it is that helps you navigate like the I'm stuck phase. And, and I, I'm, I'm very familiar with that I'm stuck phase. It sucks. Like it just sucks, but you can, you can process it. It's tough. Yes. Um, There are situations that when the divorce starts and everybody has to divulge their financial situation, that's when people actually find out if they're in more debt than they understood. And if it is heavy debt, that could influence the ability of the pay or parent to be able to consistently pay. Mm-hmm. Yet, you're going. The payor parent is going to have have the kids on you know some kind of schedule and is right. going to have to spend money on the kids, and then the payor parent gets in another relationship and the debt is digging. The debt goes farther and farther and farther down. Now there is a point of no return. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad you said you know is it financially worth it even to pursue this topic. There's a point where you may have to realize that the pay or parent has a substance abuse issue with money, the ability to deal with money, and therefore it's never going to get better. Is yeah, this- that's a tough pill to swallow, but that's a big reality. I mean, I see it all the time. Do you talk about it? It's a big reality, you know, or, you know, there's... <sighs> The reality is that often someone has to like give up the dream or give up the hope. I know somebody and I tell you this particular person, I don't know her personally, it's a a friend of a friend and she has been holding on to this divorce. I think we're at like 15 years. They are divorced, but she's trying to get money from a stone. She is trying to get blood from a stone. There's nothing there to get, but she is willing to fight and fight and fight. The emotional, I think the emotional toll this takes, in addition to the financial toll, it comes a point where you have to just say, is this really worth it? Like how much money am I really talking about? And am I, it's a fight. Fighting is it's tough. So do you think when somebody reaches a point like that, 15 years, post-divorce, can't get out of the fight, does this go back to something in their childhood? Does this go back to another issue maybe that doesn't allow them to accept reality or this reality? I think in many many times, I think there's an issue of revenge. I think people are willing to fight until they feel that they've gotten revenge or they feel that they have gotten received, you know, justice. Often justice isn't served, especially in divorce. It's not. And I think people need, I remember my attorney telling me this once 
And I was very naive when I got divorced. I was 32 and truly clueless about the process. And my attorney said to me, Esther, you want fair? Go to Pomona. And I was like, <laughs> she's refer- by the way, she's referring to the Pomona County Fair, the LA County Fair. In yeah. Pomona. yeah. And I was like, and I, that stuck with me because he was right. This process has nothing to do with fair. It doesn't, it's just, it's not about fair. It's not about justice. It's not about, it's, it, it, it turns into just a fight about control and power and you know it does it does I wish it did I wish it wasn't because it doesn't have to be that way I I feel that there are so many other ways to get through this again if you just focus on the kids so much of this would go away yeah no I I understood understood and I guess that's everybody's individual journey yeah Um, it's it's hard when they can accept whatever that reality is and just do the best for yourself. So you, when you lay your head on the pillow, it's like, okay, I did my best. That was good. Yeah. That's, that's what, and for some, some people get there sooner than others. You know, for me personally, it was like, I just, I was done fighting. I did not want to fight anymore. It was too emotionally taxing. And for some people, that's how they get there. It's just not worth it. It's just not worth the emotional fighting. So I'm out. Keep your money. Um, I will confess that I was thrilled when very amicable acts. I mean, he 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 tunes in every now and then, knows what I'm doing for a living. You know, very supportive. Um, there was a point though when we were going back and forth with we filed. Then he didn't really want to go through with it. I was so happy when the girlfriend popped up. Mm-hmm. There was a girlfriend and I'm like, she is so much better suited for you. I mean, you look alike, your interests are the same. No, 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 I wholly support this. I was so happy, I can't tell you. I did not go the justice-seeking route. Okay. I, mm-hmm. I Like, there were too many things going on in life that I had to enjoy, you know, rather than do that. Okay, let's go back to your practice. Yes. So, you deal with primarily women Correct. I deal with primarily women. I've had a few men come, but they don't stay. Yeah, you know what? I've met met some male coaches. I'm almost thinking men are good for men, women are good for women, and the male coaches that I've met are are like you. I mean, they're very honest. They mm-hmm. they they deal with a different type of fear. Men, if they are traditionally right. mayors, have mm-hmm. that fear. I'll be out of money. I'll be homeless. How can I make this work? And why do I have to keep paying her? Absolutely. I mean, more on spousal support alimony than child support. But with the child support, it's, I can't stand giving her all of my money for the children. No, it's for the children. What if she spends it on herself? Believe me, what you're giving her isn't enough to Mm -hmm. exceed food, shelter, and clothing for the kids. And right there, if you focus on the kids, it wouldn't be such a big deal. That's right. There you go. So you have, so she has more money to buy food. So she has more money to buy them some clothes. Like, you know, it could be wrong. Exactly. Yeah. What could be wrong? Yeah. Men have to get unstuck with Mm -hmm. I'm giving this money to her. No, you're actually not. You're giving it to her. And she's entitled to it, by the way. You're not giving it. She's entitled to it, which is another thing, right? As the person, yes, in different states have their laws, but as the person who more than likely Mm -hmm. will spend a little more than 50% of the time with the kids. And you might want her to go shopping, clothes shopping. Maybe you're not the clothes shopping guy. Mm -hmm. Maybe the miniature golf parent. And so, you know, so, you know, spend your money on that. But yeah, when I hear that, I really try and reassure the payor. It it, honestly, this $500, $1,000 for three children, think about what you're spending on food for just yourself. Mm -hmm. What do you think that's like for three and four people? I mean, really just break it down to numbers and, and, you know, no, she's not wearing Prada shoes. Check her shoes out. (laughs) Right. Still wearing those loafers that she's been wearing. That's what fear can do. That's what fear can do. Yes. Yes. It can make you very unrealistic. 
so do you have, I know you do one-on-one. Do you mm-hmm. have group coaching for women? I do not currently have group coaching for women. It's something that came up very long time ago and I considered it, but currently I don't, I don't run any groups. I'm open to it, um, but I don't run any group coaching now. Okay. And do you see children? I do not see children. I work with um, the parents, usually the moms, in, indirectly to help them with some issues or communication with children. Okay. That's how I get to them. Then switch over to your practice as a therapist mm-hmm. where you do deal with the big ticket items. And not every therapist specifically deals with this. Anxiety, depression, huge. We just uploaded an episode this week on depression and divorce. Daily stressors, panic attacks, agoraphobia, and mm-hmm. social anxiety. I mean, these are big issues. So have you seen these issues originate because of the emotion of the divorce? Absolutely. I have seen these things originate for so many reasons. Anxiety and depression, for sure. Um, This could be somebody's first experience with this level of anxiety where they need to seek, you know, treatment, um, therapy, and possibly medication. Depression, for sure. I myself, after divorce, that was my first experience, feeling really depressed and anxious. There was the talk about unknown, right? This is like a vast land of the unknown when you're thrown into it. Um, Usually what happens is here's, this was like the trigger. You know, we would say, okay, the divorce was the trigger for these symptoms. And then this diagnosis, oftentimes it it's short-lived. You know, this is not something that someone needs to go on medication for for 10 years. It's very possible that they get the treatment, they get the support they need, and they can, they can improve. What if any of these issues were the reason why the other spouse filed for divorce because they just weren't equal to the challenge of having a, a spouse with such severe emotional um, situations, conditions. That's really hard. It's really hard on both sides. And I have a lot of empathy for both sides. It's, you know, my recommendation before the person who's made that choice that they can no longer be in this relationship, they need help too, because there's a lot of guilt, possibly regret. You know, there's a lot of negative feelings and possibly depression and anxiety on their end as well, knowing how this is impacting someone. So It's really tough. Um, It's super important that the person who, you know, already has those symptoms and who has a history of that is is watched and seen um, because it can lead to possibly a bigger dip in their symptoms. So you want to make sure that they're, you know, monitored properly, assessed for suicidal ideations, possibly if, if it's that bad that they are, you know, inpatient or seeing you, if it's on an outpatient basis, more than once a week. You know, those people need to be watched more closely. So putting maybe a little team together, if you are the one asking for the divorce because your spouse, you know, unfortunately has these emotional conditions and it makes it very untenable for you to live a full life. Mm -hmm. And I was suggesting this in a blog that I was writing for uh, following uh, an interview with Brian Steffen. Uh, who's also, you know, a, uh, a, a master's of social work and, and a, uh, a therapist in training, so to speak, but he specializes in grief and suicide. And mm-hmm. so in, in the blog I was writing, it's put a team together. Your lawyer is not a mental health professional. Your loyal, lawyer is a legal professional and may have seen these cases before, but they can't do anything about it. They can maybe offer some sensitivity in the way the filing goes and the way the Mm -hmm. uh, communication goes back and forth as they're representing you. But here's the team. You tell me if more has to be added. So the divorce attorney, you need a divorce attorney. If you're divorcing somebody with a mental health challenge, I really do think you need a lawyer. You can't use me. You can't go it alone. It's it, you need somebody. You both need attorneys because you're probably not going to be able to speak to one another. But you need therapists and probably a coach. I would, I would definitely think I would 
I would think each party would have supports of their own, but I think really importantly, you have a couples therapist and the couples therapist would not be used to patch up this marriage, but is used in a way, it can be a coach or it could be a couples therapist to a coach who specializes in, in couples, but helping both parties accept where they're at and helping the, you know, the dissolving of the emotional relationship, right? The lawyer is going to deal with the physical aspects of it all, but there's that emotional component. Um, And I think somebody who works with both parties, that's ideal. I think that's a great suggestion, Esther, a couples coach that can monitor both of you, work with both of you, not to get you together, but to help you move forward individually. That's a brilliant Mm -hmm. idea. Not something that you need long term, but definitely in the early stages. And one, you know, I think that support for two people who are, that's often what a couples therapist winds up doing because people come to them for help in a marriage. Right. And sometimes that marriage doesn't work out, even in the couples right. therapy. And so that therapist is there to help guide them figure out their next steps separately. Um, discernment therapy, you've heard the term? I've heard the term. Okay, so I've heard it explained two different ways by therapists. One therapist or one group of therapists says it's to discern whether you should stay married or divorced. And so they conduct the therapy in an exploratory way for that end goal. So for both people to say, should I stay married? Should we be Mm -hmm. divorced? Which is better. I've also heard discernment therapy defined as you've already decided that you should be divorced. Now I'm going to help you do it in the best way possible, discerning the best way possible. But just the idea of this discernment therapy, a therapist helping you unpack and unravel Mm -hmm. uh, the questions, I guess. Yeah, that's, I think, a great idea. Now, I I don't use that term, but I often have people come to me in my coaching practice saying, you know, should I or shouldn't I? Mm -hmm. What do I do? Right. And so there are certain things that people like we talked about with, you know, with the being parent, you don't think about, right. You don't think about X, Y, and Z when you become a parent. You also don't realize that there are things, if you get divorced, this is what it will look like. There are things people don't think about. Well, do you really understand that some holidays you might not be with your kids. Do you really understand that depending on the relationship with his family, they've been in your life in a certain way. It's possible that they won't be in your life in a certain way. How is that for you? Is it, you know, we have to look at the reality. Some people don't, some people live in fantasy world. Well, I'm going to keep the house and he's going to find his own place. Well, is it very possible that you'll have to move into an apartment? Are you okay with that? Like, what does that look like? Um, what have you tried before making this decision? What have you not tried before making this decision? So I think that's, again, I don't use that term, but there are so many factors to think about before making this decision. It's a big, big decision. I want to add one thing to this discussion of divorcing somebody who's depressed, mm-hmm. a very sincere, maybe suicidal ideation, but very depressed. Okay. And you absolutely know you need to be divorced. There's a thing called a status-only divorce. Have you ever, you may not have ever heard of it. I've not heard of status. Okay. So I want to share this since I work in legal. It's a status-only divorce. And this may be your out. And when you're talking to people, Esther, have them call attorneys and have attorneys explain this concept to them. Because when we, um, when we go to get divorced, we, there's the emotional divorce that has to, has to happen. It's best if the emotional divorce takes place before the legal divorce starts, before the filing starts. 100%. Yeah, because if you can go through all the roller coaster ride of the emotions in divorce, you can, when that roller coaster stops, mm-hmm. be planted on firm ground and say, okay, now I'm ready. I've, I've, I've gone through the emotion because you have mm-hmm. to go through emotion. To Absolutely. not go through emotion, you're going to go through it at some point unless you 
have no empathy whatsoever unless you are set up a certain way, constructed a certain way that you don't feel, but that's not the norm. That's not the regular person. You know, we get upset. So if you could go through the emotional divorce first, then the legal divorce becomes easier because within the legal divorce, some of the paperwork and the questions asked are going to make you emotional. They're going to trigger you. Yeah. They are going to trigger you. So if you've handled a lot of the acceptance, the forgiveness, the grief (laughs) stages of divorce first, those triggers will be less impactful than if you haven't, okay, we're getting, you want to get divorced now? I'm going to an attorney tomorrow. Let's lawyer up. Let's get it done. Mm-hmm. Not the right way to do it. It is a thoughtful process. But there's this thing called a status only divorce. So if you're divorcing somebody with a mental health condition and, and certainly depression, just getting the divorce it can be done without going through the negotiation of assets and debts. Now, that's if you have no children. That makes things super easy. Okay. So you can get divorced, which means you're not creating community property anymore. You've named a date of separation. But all this stuff, if you have investments, if you have a house, that kind of doesn't get touched until later when you engage in that settlement talk. But maybe you do need to do it in two people. That's really, yeah, I think that's, especially when I, you know, when, as you're explaining this, it sounds like it could be also like slow process for the person in who's in the depression and the person who's doing this, a slow process. So you have the time to catch up emotionally and accept because you haven't been able to do it first. That sounds like, you know, if both parties are willing to do that, it sounds like an ideal situation for a tough situation. That's right. That's right. And then once the divorce is final and some time goes by, once it's time to get into the asset and debt negotiation, if you still can't talk to the emotional spouse, the the depressed spouse, Mm -hmm. anxiety-ridden spouse, you can very quickly hire attorneys, split it down the middle, go according to the laws of the state. Mm -hmm. That's easy for assets and debts. Maybe the house will have to be sold. And by the way, people, if even if both people are on title to a house, and your lawyers can explain this in fuller detail, but the court can step in and be in place of the spouse that may not be willing to sign off. There are really options for moving big assets forward. The only thing really in the balance is if you have children, Yeah, you know, how are you handling the custody? And those are separate hearings. And I, I mean, that just becomes tough. And really depending on the mental health condition of the depressed spouse, maybe they can't take the kids. Maybe that's not even part. Right, there's so many what things to look into. It, it, it really depends. You'd have to look at how are they functioning individually? How are they able to, you know, are they, are they getting out of the house? Are they able to hold a job? Are they able to take care of themselves before being able to also take care of a child? And then again, you know, there can be change of circumstance where there's improvement and now you get to revisit. And, you know, after X amount of time of them being stable, they get more visitation again. But that, that sounds, I'm, thank you for sharing that because I was not aware of that. I didn't even think about it until I was writing my blog this morning. Oh, interesting. I said, wait a minute. This is actually a very interesting compromise that may address the need of the person who wants to get divorced, but not um, uh, pushing or exacerbate the emotional condition of the one who needs some therapy, more therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, both people's needs can maybe be met like that. So much to think about, Esther. You were great. The perils of parenting. I Thank love it. Thank you for it. having me. It was really fun. <laughs> yes, it was for me too, and I know it was for the listeners. So for people to be able to reach you, easy. we're going to put this in show notes, but easiest way to do that. Easiest way to do that would be um, to reach out to my, it's my email, contact at estherjacob.com. Um, and 
that's the easiest way to reach me. Email me there and I get back to people right away within 24 hours. I'm pretty diligent about that. Excellent. And I recommend Esther because she's realistic, because she's not going to soft soap. She's not going to put a bow around everything. And I love people like you, Esther, that you just bottom line reality. It You have to, and, and to make have people to. laugh. Do you make your clients <laughs> laugh? I do make my clients laugh and they make me laugh too. We have, it's a lot of tough work, but we also have a lot of fun. You know, we do. We do. Because you have to. I mean, you have to. You have to have a sense of humor. You have to. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure and there will be more. We will have you come back if you would be open to that. It would be my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Excellent. And thank all of you for listening. You know, I appreciate each and every one of you. I hope this has been helpful to parents. And any of you experiencing some anxiety and depression or married to somebody like that, please share this with other people that you know going through divorce or soon to go through divorce, maybe post-divorce. You can reach me through my email address, judith at theamicabledivorceexpert.com. And as always, have an amicable day. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else.